If you Google Copenhagen, chances are that you'll find a picture of the famous statue, the Little Mermaid, one of the city's must-sees. The statue, inspired by the famous fairy tale by Hans Christian Andersen, is so closely linked to Danish culture that he even flew it down to the World Expo in Shanghai in 2010 to represent Denmark. It was created by Edvard Eriksson in 1913 and the mermaid was modeled after the celebrated ballerina Ellen Price. Ellen Price is also famous for another thing. In 1903 she danced in a series of short films made by the Danish filmmaker Peter Elfeldt and wrote herself into history as one of the very first ballerinas whose dancing has been preserved on film. Film, as a medium, is of course perfect for capturing the beauty of dance. Like ballet, for example, and there is a bunch of great ballet films in cinema history. One famous example is The Red Shoes from 1948. Michael Powell and Emmerich Pressburger's beautiful drama shot in glorious Technicolor, regarded as one of the greatest films of all time. In 1999 it was voted the ninth greatest British film by the British Film Institute. Why do you want to dance? Why do you want to live? And, by the way, the plot of The Red Shoes is actually inspired by another fairy tale by that same Hans Christian Andersen who wrote The Little Mermaid. But enough of Hans Christian Andersen and mermaids, let's talk about ballet on film. Apart from The Red Shoes, there are many great ballet films. Stephen Daldry's Billy Elliot springs to mind, the modern classic about a coal miner's son who wants to become a ballet dancer. Saw so disappear. I could feel a change in my whole body. And like this fire in my body. Just there. Flying. Bird. And let's not forget about Darren Aronofsky's ballet horror drama The Black Swan from 2010, starring a tormented, obsessed Natalie Portman. Just want to be perfect. You what? Want to be perfect. <laughs> Perfection is not just about control, it's also about letting go. And in September 2021, a new ballet film arrived on our screens, Birds of Paradise, a drama about two students at an elite ballet academy in Paris. And Goodbye Kansas Studios produced visual effects for it. Just because you were number one once does not mean you will be again. I will be number one. Who are you? I'm Kate. So what kind of VFX do you produce for a ballet film? Wonder no more, because today we will dance down Yellowbrick Road to find out.
Hello everybody, I'm Nils Lagergren and you're listening to Yellowbrick Road, a podcast about movies, games and visual effects. And yes, today we're going to talk about the Amazon Prime feature film Birds of Paradise, or more specifically, the visual effects in it. So I'm very happy to welcome a guest from Goodbye Kansas Studios in London, VFX supervisor Jason M. Halverson. Welcome. Hello, thank you. Good to be here. This is your first visit to Yellowbrick Road, and, and whenever I get new guests, I always ask that magic question, how did you end up in this lovely industry? How did it all start? Well, um, when I was young, I was inspired by movies like Star Wars and Star Trek, and um, I knew from a very young age that I wanted to do visual effects. Um, so during college, I actually moved to California, uh, you know, to, mm. to go be near the film industry. <laughs> and... Um, I studied at San Francisco State University in their cinema department. Uh, created my own major because it was before uh, computers were, were something in film. And so uh, mm. I learned screenwriting, editing, stagecraft, and animation. Uh, and I focused specifically on stop motion animation. Um, and mm. as I'd seen Phil Tippett doing uh, his work on the original Star Wars trilogy, like the Adat Walkers and stuff in Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, yeah. And I uh, was pretty much, you know, hooked from that moment. Um, so it was about that time that uh, uh, computers started being used used in filmmaking at all the different levels. Most started in production and tracking and that kind of stuff, and eventually went its way into uh, actual making content. And uh, VFX eventually, of course, uh, you know, uh, was taken over by computer use. And when compositing software came around on desktop computers, because it always been on high end com- on systems, um, uh, Costa After Effects came out. And, uh, and so I learned that, basically uh, blagged my way into a job where uh, I said I knew how to use it. Um, it didn't exist yet. It was in beta. Uh, and uh, I actually claimed that I knew how to use it and got the job uh, uh, based on that. And in the end, that led me to a job working at Phil Tippett's company, uh, Tippett Studios. <clears throat> and that's really when uh, it kicked off my film career. And, uh, and from there, I worked at places like ILM, uh, Sony Imageworks, and, and DNEG. Lovely. Well, what films did you work on with Phil Tippett? Uh, with uh, Tippett, I started on uh, Evolution. And, uh, it was a, mm. a comedy from uh, Ivan Reitman. And then I worked on uh, Carl and Ray commercial for Blockbuster Video. And mm. uh, and also on Blade 2. And um, mm. and a, a little bit of Matrix. I did some of the look development on Matrix 3 uh, of the, uh, the angel uh, that Neo turns into at the end. Oh, yeah. Amazing. Yeah. And it's always nice to meet a fellow uh, uh, stop motion fan. <laughs> yeah, big stop motion fan. Yeah. I've met Ray yeah, Harrison, worked with Phil Tippett. Yeah. So, yeah, stop motion has been a big part of my life. Sounds like a dream. Um, but Birds of Paradise that we're here to talk about today, it does not include any stop motion. <laughs> no. <does> it? <laughs> it felt like it. <laughs> The basic facts first, as usual. Uh, it's written and directed by Sarah Dina Smith. Uh, it's an adaptation of the A.K. Smalls book Bright Burning Stars from 2019. It was produced by Dara Gordon, Trevor Adley and Gionaco Donnelly. Production companies were anonymous content and everything is everything. And it was distributed by Amazon Studios. So, well, what's the movie about? The movie is about a um, a pair of uh, young women who uh, meet up. Uh, one of them is from America, and she is a protege of um, uh, in ballet, a uh, former basketball player, oddly enough, and she was uh, uh, decided to pursue uh, ballet. So she gets a uh, scholarship to go to a prestigious school in Paris, and she meets uh, her, her 
nemesis slash friend, I guess frenemy would be a good word for it, uh, M, uh, Marine. And uh, they, um, it's about their adventures through their school to, to try and win the scholarship to be in the National Opera. They pick one girl and one boy for the contract for the Paris Opera Ballet. Light, légère. She's testing you. She's torturing me too. Anyone who partners with Felipe will be the better dancer. He's the key to the prize. So how did you come in contact with the project? Um, I was brought on after uh, we, I guess the initial contact had been made with uh, Amazon to discuss the initial uh, stages. And then I was brought on to help the bidding part, um, to look over the different sequences. Um, and the shooting had already been done, uh, the first phase of it. And then they were about to film the club scene, which is part of the, the work we did, uh, and COVID hit. Mm. So the club scene had to be completely rewritten so it could still be filmed. Uh, they were filming in uh, Prague and it had to be rewritten so that they could uh, do it as a you know, spacious kind of area where the, all the dancers would be far apart from one another. And then we would use visual effects to make them look like they're closer together. So, uh, yeah, so it was already underway and I kind of had to come in and help with the, how, how to implement the idea of putting these, them together into, into one space like that. In general, how does VFX for feature film TV series pitches look like? I mean, I assume it's a lot about numbers, how much the work would cost, but does it also include like visual targets, style frames or suggestions of how various effects could be done? It's um, it's really, it runs the gamut. Um, there are some projects that you get and it's, it, you basically get a spreadsheet and a script and you start from there and you fill in as much as you can, your own imagination can kind of help to educate. Um, but then also uh, it can go all the way to previs and concept art and um, uh, test shots and things like that. And so on this show in particular, we did actually get uh, a little bit of money for uh, a test shot to, to do a proof of concept to show that we understood what the director and the art director were after. And, uh, and so this, this time we were lucky to have some of the material to work with. So that always helps. Yeah. Um, what kind of effects did Goodbye Kansas deliver? We had, um, well, our first challenge was to do the Jungle Nightclub uh, scene, which in which um, uh, the characters take uh, a, a laced uh, worm, <laughs> uh, and they, and it was laced with uh, some hallucinogen. Um, the worm, the worms themselves had to be replaced, so that was the pre-sequence to that, where we had to take out the rubber worms that they were using on set and replace it with a, a live worm. That leads into uh, when they're in the nightclub, they then start to um, hallucinate as they're walking around dancing and uh, they start seeing things in the, in the plants and in their hands. And um, so that was, uh, uh, that was the bulk of the work uh, we had to do. And then the next kind of big sequence was uh, at the end of that, they go off into sort of a headspace where they're, they think they're having a dance off. And the two of them are, are dancing like mad and the glitter is flying off their bodies into this void and landing all over the place. Uh, and, uh, and that, of course, turns out that they're not actually in this lovely space. They're just kind of standing there wiggling in front of one another and uh, don't realize that they're, they're not actually dancing very well. Do you always follow the rules? No. Prove it. My heart is on fire. I'm gonna count to three, and we're gonna both stop. Why should I trust you? One, two, three. 
And then the rest of it was to, uh, because it was filmed in Prague, uh, we had to make Prague look like Paris. And so we made modifications mm. to the school to make it look a little bit more Parisian, also a little bit more grand uh, and larger in scale. And, uh, of course, to, to put in um, Parisian skylines behind the green screen shots, like at the beginning of the film. Uh, and we also had to take a building that they found in Prague that had similar architecture in the front center part of it mm. and expand it out and make it look like the Palais Garnier, which is where the Paris Opera um, uh, Ballet performs. Let's talk about the, this psychedelic <laughs> sequence. <laughs> Those scenes must have been fun to produce. Uh, how, how did that creative process look like? Yeah, it was it was very challenging because the director and the art director had a very specific idea of what they wanted. Um, so they kept uh, asking and, and pushing the idea of using Google's Deep Dream neural network project, which is which if you've ever seen that on YouTube, is where they run it through um, a machine learning type neural network where you feed in images and it gives you kind of a, a trippy acid-like experience uh, video out of that. Um, and so we started to play with that. That was our, our directive was to kind of start with that. And very quickly, we found that there were lots of technical limitations of that software that we that we downloaded from Google. And so we had to, uh, they had problems with it, like, say, for example, uh, the patterns would be locked to the frame. So they would be kind of look like they were stuck on the camera and we were looking through almost like glasses um, rather than traveling with the objects in frame. So we knew right away that wasn't going to work. Um, and... We wanted to we wanted to make it sure that make sure that it was something it was uh, like people experience when they're on hallucinogenics. Uh, it's more about the feeling and seeing manifestations in the in the in the real world than things uh, you know coming from their eyes or from from their their own heads. So it was very important um, to to the to to the director that we do that. So the software we had to upgrade uh, it ran originally ran eight bit uh, on HD quality video. So we had a very low resolution, you know, as, as you know, for the 32-bit 4K images that we normally work with in our compositing software in Nuke. Um, so we had to modify the code to increase the bit depth and to increase the size of the, the frame. And also we had to, uh, to be able to train it on higher resolution uh, uh, images because uh, with these neural networks, you have to train them to give them um, uh, backup information, backup visual information that it then applies to the, uh, the foreground information that you're trying to affect. Were you inspired by other trippy scenes from film TV? Um, actually, no. Uh, the director was very specific about that. She said we couldn't use any other cinematic references. They had to be hmm. um, very personal to, to what she experienced uh, in, her, in her own experiences. Um, so our job was to basically get in her head and try to, uh, try to make that real. Yeah. And then there's this imaginary dance of glitter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, tell me about it. That was uh, that was that came about because the director liked because they obviously the dancers had been covered in glitter, and uh, when they were dancing, as they threw their hair around and their limbs around, they were throwing off glitter off their body, obviously. And she thought that was just the perfect uh, look, but it needed to be more. It needed to be more dramatic. It needed to be more glitter, and and really kind of go for it. So it was a real fun challenge that I I, I gave to our three D and effects teams, and they basically went and we didn't we didn't have the budget to do full rotomation which is to which is to take a mm. cg person and track their every movement or every joint movement and finger movement um to what happened in the real plate um so what we did is we actually experimented with different ways of turning the roto that we were using to rotoscope them off of the plate to turn the rotoscoping into a an emitter 
and to have that uh, inherit the speed of the limbs that were moving and the hair that was moving and use that to throw glitter off. And that got us uh, a long way and a lot of shots we used that for. But then uh, in the end, there was also uh, one of the effects artists realized that there was a semi-automatic way you could do that in Houdini. And Houdini, you can mm -hmm. give it some poses and it will then interpolate and find uh, a kind of a roto-animated version of, uh, of the limbs. And so we, we did a combination of the two things that we then layered up in comp um, to create, uh, to create the, the effect of, of throwing the glitter off their bodies. Um, it's very important. We used uh, um, uh, glitter that is that is uh, decomposes in nature, so it's not like glitter, glitter. All that glitter was not going down mm -hmm. the drain and polluting everything. But we also had to match it. We actually had a copy of it uh, in our offices, and we had to match the the flicker, you know, the, the sorry, the reflectivity of it, uh, the color of it, uh, the movement of it. So that there was a lot of work, not just in how it was thrown around but also um, and to make sure that it matched because we had to match right with the real glitter in the plate. So it had to look exactly yeah. the same. So we had, we had to work with motion blur. We had to work on, of course, occlusions and things like that. So, yeah, it's a lot of work. We called it our glitter engine. <laughs> Do you prefer when you have, like, uh, in this case, real glitter filmed uh, so you have something to compare with? Is that easier or harder? Absolutely. No. I mean, it, it certainly makes it harder, but the end result uh, will be more accurate because when you have reference that is that mm. true to what you're trying to create, um, then you just have to keep working until it, it's seamless. Um, and I was, we always try to work with, with reference. I mean, that's something that I think every co VFX company tries to do is to draw as much reference together from YouTube and from DVDs and Blu-rays and, and, uh, and pull those things together and say, make it look like that. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have a favorite VFX shot from the film? It's hard to it's hard to pick a favorite. Um, there's so many good shots in the movie, but I know mine. I I, I love the moment when um, early on in the sequence, uh, Kate is just beginning to dance and she's kind of still crouched down, and she sweeps her leg across the floor. And in the original plate, there was almost nothing on the floor to move. And what we, when we added our glitter engine stuff onto the top of that, it just made this amazing fan, like of a, like a wing fanning glitter out of the floor. And then mm -hmm. it just continued to slide across the, the the black void in the space. Just looks really cool. I just thought it was always really neat. That uh, sounds nice. The film premiered in September with good reviews. And how how does it feel when your work meets the audience for the first time? Uh, it's good. It's um. Uh, it, it's bittersweet because especially with a, with a show like this, our effects are meant to be sort of invisible. Mm. You're supposed to feel what the characters are feeling when they're in the club and you're not supposed to notice the worm. You're not supposed to notice the, the, the houses and buildings that we modified. Uh, and so a lot of times they don't mention the visual effects when the, when the audience sees it, uh, you know, they don't even realize that, that what they've seen has been modified quite mm. a bit. Mm. Um, so, but that's also good. But you have to remind yourself that's a good thing because if they didn't notice it, that means what you did was seamless, and uh, and they just got to enjoy the storyline and enjoy what the director was trying to you know put in front of them. So, uh, so I take it that there there was almost no mention in any reviews that I found of visual effects. So I I, I, I take that as a compliment because that means people didn't notice <laughs> that we were fooling them. <laughs> it's all about fooling, isn't it? Yes, it is. It's all about deception. That's what we do in film. <laughs> yeah, that's lovely. Uh, in the intro, I mentioned some other ballet films. Do you have any other favorite ballet film? You know, I haven't even seen Black Swan yet. 
I um, oh. I, no, I've been meaning to. And actually, while we were working on this, I meant to see it, but didn't get around to it. I still have not. So I don't really have one, to be honest. Hmm. I've seen ballet live, but I haven't seen any movies, ballet movies. Uh, have you tried dancing ballet? <laughs> <laughs> I have not. No, no. that is not Me something neither. I've tried. <laughs> <laughs> I, I always ask my guests what they're working on right now, uh, but I know that you will probably answer that it's something secret that you don't can't talk <laughs> about it. But <laughs> or can you? <laughs> uh, let's see. I don't think I can. Well, I'm working on a Swedish film right now, uh-huh. actually, um, uh, which I'm uh, very excited about. But again, it's going to be it's going to be one of those movies where p- nobody will notice that there's visual effects. Mm. Um, it's, a, it's a period drama mm. and uh, it's going to look so flawless that you'll you'll think they filmed it in, in, in the 19th century. But um, uh, and then uh, I have a, a there's another show I'm helping out with as well. And uh, it's uh, yeah. Uh, we'll we'll have to talk more about those on on future podcasts. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> but, but in general, do, do you prefer VFX work that is invisible, or do you prefer uh, shots where where it's well visible? <laughs> yeah, I've done it all. I mean, I've you know I've worked on Matrix and Star Wars and and mm. uh, and uh, Blade Runner, <laughs> Blade and stuff like that. So. Uh, I've done all kinds of different things and I've done fully CG animated films and 3d films and documentaries. Um, and it, I really, really do love from even from the very earliest days of just creating something that's invisible. That mm. is so believable that, uh, that you have to point it out to somebody. You have to pause, you know, watching it on a DVD or something and point it out to them and say, this is, this is the stuff I did. And then, you know, when people shrug and go, I, I don't see what you did, you know, Um, mm. that's, that's just a, a real thrill, you know, it's nice to create the big stuff and, and the big adventures with all the splashy effects. But, uh, but when you can really let someone lose themselves in this, in the, in the movie, I, that, that really is rewarding to me. Well, visual effects ha- have been around as long as movies have, uh, and, mm-hmm. and it has developed. And, and for example, l- like this, the first one with the train coming into the station, people got scared because they thought it was a real train. And, and my mm-hmm. favorite example is, uh, speaking of stop motion, the wonderful King Kong of 33, uh, mm-hmm. when people in the audiences actually fainted and got terrified because they thought it looks so real. And mm-hmm. today we, we see that it's a, a cute puppet. So my theory is that the human eye is like constantly like learning to look to see these tricks that we create. Do -hmm. you think that that, that the visual effects we create today will be looked upon like that in the future that people will see? No, that's fake. Yeah, I, I mean, as a culture, we are getting more and more aware of the techniques that are used, and so um, culturally. People now understand that those were puppets that were moved frame by frame, and that's something you could ask almost anybody, and they'd probably be able to tell you that it was, you know, by some version of the term stop motion. Mm. Um, and now, of course, they know that we're using computers, and so a lot of people aren't aren't having those same reactions because they feel like, you know, you keep hearing that 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 thing of the magicians with, 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 you know, behind the computers, um, uh, <laughs> discounting the fact that it's lots and lots and lots of man hours that you know is very laborious, and there's no there's no magic plugins, there's no magic software that's just painting these amazing scenes for us. Mm. Um, so. Yeah, and and, it, and unfortunately, audiences are getting a bit cynical about it. Where it's it, you know, if you go too much with your visual effects, they're just like, oh, I'm, I'm lost. I don't follow it anymore. Mm. If you don't have enough, they don't notice it, so they don't appreciate what's been done. Um, 
you know, they think, I guess they think Daniel Craig jumps off bridges and, 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 and holding onto a single rope, you know, not, not full of harnesses and, and his face being replaced and, you know, pads underneath him and, you know, like all the things that we do that we remove. Um, people just think that these, these stars are, are actually doing these things, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't know, but you know, it's, it, we're, we're almost overeducating the, the, the public, so they, they're not surprised by anything anymore. So, I guess that becomes the challenge then is trying to find new ways of surprising them. And so, you get like these ridiculous sequences in Fast and Furious where they go from you know jumping out of a plane with cars and then landing and then driving, and you know, it's just the more they can stuff in there, you know, the more shocking it's supposed to be. I guess <laughs> sometimes it, maybe it numbs people a little bit, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, it is magic. But 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 then magicians are, have to work really, really hard to pull off their tricks. That's a good point. I would think of it as it's easy. You know, magic is in like uh, Dungeons and Dragons magic, where you just wave a wand and it happens. But you're right. Magicians, true magicians, are actually working very hard. Yeah, they are. Yeah. <laughs> so, last but not least, a favorite stop motion film. Ooh, favorite stop motion film. I'm going to have to say Clash of the Titans. Ah, the 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 old classic one. Yeah, the, the Harry Hamlin one. That yeah, was uh yeah. that was one that when I was a kid I saw um uh, uh Bebo flying around the little owl mm. and uh was absolutely yeah, enamored of how you made this little metal owl fly around. An owl. Golden owl. And I actually got to meet Ray Harryhausen um, back in uh, when I worked in L.A. And I told him that story and he was very touched and he thought mm. that was very, very cool. And uh, uh, that was a really special moment to be able to share with him how much I loved, uh, loved his work. So that was great. Yeah. Well, I can't imagine. He was a yeah, legend. Yeah, incredible. Really mm. incredible. Yeah. It was lovely chatting with you, Jason. Thanks a lot oh, for yeah, sharing yeah. your stories and welcome back to Yellow Brick Road one day. Thank you. Yes, absolutely. And shout out to uh, to the whole team that uh, that uh, helped complete this. We had people in Stockholm and London. And of course, my lovely producer, Paula, who couldn't be here today. Um, but yeah, so it was, a, it was a team effort and we, and we have an amazing group of people working for us. It always is. Magicians work hard and we work in teams and everyone, <laughs> <laughs> everyone has exactly. to work together. <laughs> exactly. Thank you. Thank you. And you out there, thanks for listening. Do mail us if you have any questions or suggestions of topics we should discuss. You reach us at podcast.goodbycancers.com. Until next time, goodbye, a bientôt, auf Wiederhören, wie hoch. <laughs>